Hello, Seth David Films podcast listeners. Today we are giving you a little side project called How to Be a Movie Snob. This is where me, my cousin Mariah, and a few guest stars talk about movies that are on the old-time snobbery list. Now, this is an attempt for me to become a better filmmaker because when you watch great things, you learn amazing skills and methods. And so our goal is to become movie snobs so that I can become, hopefully, a better filmmaker. So enjoy this episode, How to Be a Movie Snob. It's alive. It's alive. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I love you. I know. Here's Johnny. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. I see dead people. Milk was a bad choice. Hello and welcome to the first ever How to Be a Movie Snob. I am Seth, joined here with the lovely Mariah. Hello. And we want to talk about movies. And the concept is, why would I want to be a snob? Well, it's very self-serving. Not only do I just want to be, you know, the guy who just knows stupid stuff at parties, but I also want to get better at making movies. I am a full-time filmmaker, and I realize that I am not a true movie snob. In fact, I have a long way to go to be a snob. And I realized, even in my small little video business in Oregon, a lot can be learned from these amazing films that have come throughout the years. But I knew I couldn't do this alone. So, the person who I know has watched more movies than anyone else I know, Mariah. Mariah, where where does your love of movie begin? And kind of give us your history of of where where you're at with the whole movie snobbery. Oh, well, I came from parents that are both movie snobs in their own right but come from very, very different places. I was raised on my father showing me all of the John Wayne movies, nice. Clint Eastwood movies, any war type of movie, um, along with uh, James Bond and really anything high tech and violent and <laughs> historical war wise. And then also then on my mom's side was raised on Disney movies, musicals, British movies. Uh, murder mysteries and every murder mystery under the frickin' sun. Any Agatha Christie that was made into a movie, <laughs> I've seen every version. And any Jane Austen made into a movie, I've seen every version. Okay, so let's get down to who we are movie-wise. Let's, I don't think I even prepped you for this. What movies have you seen the most... Like rewatch the most over and over again. Well, as a lady from the eighties and nineties, mm -hmm. 
I was I was always watching repeatedly uh, all the Brat Pack movies growing up. I watched Mannequin and Dirty Dancing and Grease. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I found my niche at some point there. And now that I rewatch them as an adult, I realize, yes, there are some redeeming qualities, but these aren't oh, what sure. you call high quality movies. Fair. That's fair. Now, but there is a pl- definite place for them in cinema history and sure. often change the game. Okay, so I had to go with the most watched. Can you guess which movie I've watched the most? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Monty Python and the Holy <laughs> Grail, by far, not even close. And it, I don't know. Did you guys watch that when you were in high school? Like, was that a thing? Did, like, it was. I watched it when we came to visit your house. <laughs> Because it's such like an overplayed dork thing now that I didn't know many other people in high school that watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail. No, no, not very many. So my only cred to like movie snobbery is liking this before it was cool to like it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. The other movie, number two, I've seen... Spaceballs? No, good guess, good guess. Actually, I didn't watch Spaceballs that much. I've probably only seen it. Mm. Strange Brew. Strange Brew. And this one is where I start to joke about movie movie snobbery. Uh, Yeah, there's a guy who played Jesus in that film, and he's the bad guy. Uh, Oh, that's right. Love that guy. Love that guy. (laughs) He was in some amazing movies. So arguably changed the the course of, of history for cinema. And oh, by the way, it is based on, oh, Hamlet. So it's basically high class entertainment. And then after that, we start to degrade into the... I mean, don't get me wrong. Adam Sandler, love him to death. But all of, of course, the Happy Gilmores and the Billy Madisons and all the thing of my era. I remember... I remember... (laughs) Memories in the movies. And I'm going to go a couple different ways here. The first memory I have is laughing so hard. It was either Ace Ventura or Happy Gilmore. But it was something that just hit that... the, The... the essence of what I was as a 13-year-old boy and literally falling out of my chair laughing so hard, not thinking that anything could be that funny ever again. And that was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. In the bathtub, shampoo is better, conditioner is better. Or it might have been like, I want to ask you a question. (laughs) Whatever ridiculous. Oh, and I was just, I couldn't believe things could be that funny. And I just, oh, because Monty Python is different. Like, it wasn't like that laugh out loud. And so, ah, and, and as much as I loved, I, I've loved all those things. I also, things that in, kind of influenced me a little bit more is I did move to China for, and lived there for almost a decade. And that was kind of during this like China, um, like resurgence, not resurgence, but really popularity in the States because I loved Kung Fu movies growing up, like Jackie Chan and drunken master and some like the the ones that like were only on vhs that no one really had (laughs) but but then when i moved to china like there was this whole like a hidden dragon crouching tiger and then the um the daggers there's all these great movies that were just over the top cinematic and crazy and it was just like oh the rest of the world doesn't see movies the same way we do and it was this great like opening, and it was kind of cool because it also happened to coincide with like, you know, the U.S. being open to these new movies as well, like Kung Fu Hustle and 
later it just it just seemed to be like oh a decade of of chinese movies really coming to the forefront and so that was kind of a fun time for me as well just thinking oh this is totally different and then i came back and i started making little little travel films and youtube and all that but the more i play with cameras and the more i capture things i can't help but being drawn to seeing what makes a movie good what makes a quote-unquote movie into that snob category? And so that's the adventure I want to go on. I want to take us on that journey, but I want to, I want to do it in a way that's not like traditional snobbery because traditional snobbery, we talk about like, well, obviously, because that DP was working with him and <laughs> comes so they totally stole it from Bicycle Thieves or whatever other, and we're not going to be total snobs about this, but we want to have normal conversations about being a snob where we actually view it, we acknowledge the feelings we're feeling from what we've seen, and then hopefully we analyze it a little bit to see how they did that and what made that so special. And for me personally, how then, to recreate it? How to recreate it? Because doggone it, that is what I love to do: is tell stories. And is there not anything more beautiful? And anyone who's worked in photography or film or journalism, you want to tell these perfect stories. You want to tell stories that not are only true to it, but who that actually can move people. And, oh, I'll, I'll go into the weeds a little bit more with, with some of the um, critique of Citizen Kane, but there's something about retelling the truth of humanity. And that was a big change with Citizen Kane because before it was the illusion is what the cinemas was for. And that's and I'm, and I'm not against that, but there's something about catching those true stories that I think is just wonderful. So, without further ado, should we jump into it? I think we should. Oh my gosh! Okay, so Citizen Kane. I mean, there's not what movie's been talked about more. <laughs> it's it's okay. First question: Overrated or underrated? Citizen Kane. Go. I think it. I think it stands up to the hype. I think it is an amazing movie. I think everything that went into it, the cinematography, the direction, the production, the actors, the lighting, every single, and I think because of all those things being so solid, it does hold up. I think it is a really good movie. Oh, it's so good. I, 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 just watching it again, I couldn't believe how, how quick it went the pacing was so good it still rings true as just a plain story take away the sound or the makeup or the cinematography it's still like the story just rings true and is so good on its own and you know that's like every filmmaker's mantra it's the story stupid (laughs) but oh man it just rings true on so many levels so a little background of the story um, I want to dive into just a little bit. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, Rosebud is a sled. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Which is kind of a ridiculous premise, by the way. A sled, really? That's where you... T- but it's still... <laughs> it took two hours it's to two get hours. here. Yeah. Worth it. Worth it. <laughs> Maybe the biggest thing about this movie is it just suckered us. It literally is never going to give you up, Rosebud sucker. <laughs> Rick rolled us straight <laughs> into the sled. Straight in. Didn't see Rick rolling coming, did you? <laughs> There's always a place. <laughs> oh, Rick, you're the best. 
And much like Rick, Orson Welles' first hit was his biggest. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not um, necessarily Orson Welles' faults either. Some of his movies were tankered with later in his career. But Orson Welles was legit a genius when he was like three. And if you heard, you heard much of his stuff growing up, mm -hmm. like he he could have conversations like an adult um, early, early on. He he could <laughs> he traveled with his his father when he was young. He lived in China for a while. <sighs> he was interested in being a magician. He ran into Houdini one time, and Houdini actually taught him a trick, and then. He tried to quickly do the trick back to Houdini, and Houdini's like, "Whoa, don't do a trick until you practice a thousand times." And that is something that, like, they say, like, "Oh, that's probably what kind of you know got him into it." But he was like legit genius level that talked not like a normal adult, a three-year-old, five-year-old, and he was going to be like this music prodigy because that's what his mom um, was raising him. Oh, by the way, he didn't really do normal school, of course. Cause he, but he had this inquiring mind and he would just ask people things and just absorb it all. all of it. Not only absorb it, just understand it. And then he just take that. And that's what's so amazing about citizen Kane. I believe, yes, Orson Welles is responsible, but I would argue not as much as he gets credit for. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't take away that he's, he was a thousand percent a genius and ahead of his time. But he leaned heavy on all the pieces that made that movie what it was, including the writing, right? including the cinematography, which right. wasn't him. He laid the way for it, but it was the DP. That director of photography changed the game. The makeup was ahead of its time. The lighting, the sound design, all unheard of stuff, but it wasn't just him, but it was him knowing what he wanted and being too dumb and stubborn to know that he was wrong <laughs> for better, or for worse. And, and that's the, the, the lovely thing about Orson Welles. Is he seemed to end up to become Kane. Yeah. I was going to say, just like his character, <laughs> it's the most crazy thing. It's like an autobiography that isn't. And so him growing up in this, these weird circumstances where he, his mother died when he was super young and then he was with his father, but his father was drinking himself to death. So he left his father and his father ended up did drinking himself to death. Um, often there was people saying like, Oh, is it dad taking care of him or is he taking care of his dad? And he's like eight or nine at the time. His mom's already been dead. And that's what he grew up in. And then his dad does die. And Oh, by the way, his, his brother is in uh insane asylum because he probably had, um, a form of autism that was, you know, couldn't be diagnosed back then. And that's his life when he's just a kid hmm. and he gets accepted to Harvard and says no, <laughs> and just starts traveling, ends up going to Ireland, <laughs> I think Dublin. And he, he lies and says, oh, I'm a big Broadway star from the States. <laughs> and the joke was, Everyone knew he was obviously lying, but they're so hard up for actors <laughs> that they did it. And so the first thing he did was a lead. And the joke was he started as the lead and then he got slowly, slowly got lesser and lesser parts. But then he started also, you know, becoming the amazing director that he became. He was called, um, and then he couldn't get work, but he had to go back to the States. 
and then started directing plays in America. And he, at, at the time, he got to the point where he was the most acclaimed um, play director in the States. And that's just another thing. Like, that's a lifetime achievement when he was in his teens, early 20s. And then, of course, the monumental thing his voice, which was incredible, I'm sure the musical background and the dictation from his mother's school and his strict, um, strict adherence to making sure that he can have a intelligent sounding three-year-old, what the heck. <laughs> and so then he does radio, um, like overdubbing. And he was so, he was like running from studio to studio so much, he was getting so much work it was like $2,000 a week back in 19... <laughs> oh, shoot, what year was it? Um, in the early 19-teens. Um, and then the thing that changed everything was the War of the Worlds. Oh. I love listening to this. Have you listened to the whole thing? Yeah. What was it It's li- been a long time, but yeah. his voice, oh, oh my gosh, he kind of transports you. It's insane, 100 years old, and it's still like, this is so good. And you could totally see why people were freaked out. Oh, yeah. When was the first time you listened to it? Like the first time you heard? I was at my grandmother's house in Eastern Oregon, and my cousin had all the tapes. And he came. No way. And we would just sit and listen to them and draw. That is so cool. Is this Jesse? Yeah. Oh, I think we were probably in fourth grade, fifth grade. That I mean, is so cool. By the way, Mariah is a- Young enough to get freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you, but also really into it. Yeah. And that's that's, that's so fun about being, the, being that age because you could still like get yourself hyped up to like, this is real. And it, you can kind of just picture people huddled around a radio because yeah. that's the entertainment they had. And oh man, oh, yeah. that's like the oh. horror movies of those days. Oh, and, and then some. And then no one has ever done it in the sense where they use radio, uh, like news sounding Thing, part of the story that was unheard of at the time oh just oh crazy i wonder how many conspiracy theorists sprung from <laughs> listening to the- oh my gosh now it's so hard now with with conspiracy theory being the norm remember in the 90s when like the 80s it was it was weird when you had a conspiracy theorist now it's weird when you someone doesn't have a conspiracy theory because it's just so oh. but back then like you know we hadn't been in the moon yet Mars was still probably a thing. <laughs> oh, the, there's there's some conflicting about how much like craziness was on the streets. Like, was it really as crazy as they said? You know what I mean? But one story that was was uh, pretty great. This guy and gal were on a date. The dude runs out of the car when he hears it away from her. Leaves her there, and he goes like hiding for cover. I don't, where, where's he going? He's, he's, he, <laughs> it's like those scary movies where they run away from the car behind the chainsaws, like that commercial. <laughs> I'm gonna go into the shed where all the knives are swinging yeah. around. <laughs> Should we go into that ra- that running car? What are you crazy? Oh, <laughs> oh, it's so good. So that, oh, and, and oh, so then the, I didn't even finish the punchline. So then later the guy. Tries to ask the girl out. He's like, sorry, I found a nice Martian to settle down with. <laughs> Burn. And so that's when the studio started calling. Like, everyone wanted him for, for Hollywood. But you know what the irony was? He didn't want to go. Which I didn't know that at all. I thought, oh, yeah. 
this this guy's ego, he's gonna want to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, by the way, he's only twenty three at the time when this happens, right? Yeah. Good night. So he starts because his his real love is still the theater. He's still you know, and he's you know got the chops to do it. But it took two failed plays to get him to go to Hollywood. Desperation. Exactly right. Desperation made Citizen Kane happen. But because so many people were calling at the time, he kind of changed the industry. He had this insane deal with RKO. RKO asked him once and he said no. Asked him again, no. And the deal kept getting better and better. So he, he got this crazy deal, which I don't think, I mean, I, I'm sure it's been done before. I know Kevin Costner with, with gun with um, dances with wolves, he was the director, producer, actor. But Orson Welles got final cut. Like he got like not only does he get to do all the things, and by the way, he's never been on a movie set. His first movie set he'd ever been on was the first day he was directing not Citizen Kane, but the what the RKO movies because he had two. This I didn't know either. He had two failed movie attempts before he did Citizen Kane. Hmm. Um, one of them was a budget issue, and one of them just he didn't finish because he got bored and tried it out. And so then he finally starts to make Citizen Kane. And this is this is the fun part. He so when he was doing the the play stuff, he he was an acclaimed director, and he did he did some pretty cool things. Like he had an all black cast for a Shakespeare play that got just everyone loved it, just loved it. Um, he also um, started his own company called the Mercury Theater. Um, cause it was the theater he was working for was like a, a government paid theater. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, this is like the depression. So they're trying to get out of depression. So he, he would be directing these plays for this public theater, but then he started his own called Mercury theater. Those are all the actors in citizen Kane. Hmm. He brought all the people he worked with at Mercury theater with him to the set of citizen Kane. So he knew how to work with them. He knew how to direct him. He changed parts that would better match their ability or their, their acting style, mm -hmm. which makes total sense. When you see says, Kane, you're like, it's like they're made for these parts. Well, yeah, the parts are made for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, okay. Let's talk about just the first time we saw it now. Now. So we get to here. He has full rights. Um, there, uh, one more thing before we talk about our feelings. <laughs> I swear we'll talk about our feelings. Put it eventually. off as long as, as you have. I to. know, right? My my wife's like, yeah, surprise, surprise. Not gonna talk about what you really feel. Um, Mank, the writer of Citizen Kane. Have you seen the movie Mank? No. Oh my goodness, that's on your two watch list next. Now that you've dove into Citizen Kane, basically Herman Mankiewicz, which everyone called Mank. Um, wrote Citizen Kane. Yes. Orson Welles had some like notes, but he gave it to Mankiewicz. But got credit for the screenplay. Yes. With, with him. But his contract said he didn't have to. He signed a contract that said he would get no credit. But but if you look at Mank's career, it kind of sucked. He was he was he was like he was like a two hundred batting average consistently. He just always was there, showed up. More like a 230, 250. He still gets in the order, but really he never hit anything. So <laughs> when he realized how good Citizen Kane was going to be, <laughs> then he realized, like, oh, I want to be part of this. Anyways, that's a whole drama too, but the movie is great. I don't know. It's definitely from his side of the story, but it was incredible. But the but the screenplay, this is and this is where the whole movie gets into trouble later, is about the... Newspaper mogul. And this is where 
everything goes downhill. And and this is where because he was Mank was friends with said mogul, mm-hmm. like in his inner group, and that inner group was the group that like was like the the A listers of Hollywood at the time. And then he got kicked out of that group, and he was still reeling and pissed off about it. Oh. And that's when he wrote Citizen Kane the way it was. And so, and apparently Mankovich's version was even more, obviously. You knew exactly yeah. who they were talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was a lot of intro. Um, Citizen Kane, if you don't know the story. Actually, Mike, can you give me a summary? Do you, do you think you could figure that out? For, top of your head, summary? A summary of the movie? Oh, the movie. The plot? The plot. Good luck. Oh, man. There's so many facets to this. Right. Um, okay, I'm going to try and cut this down to the basics. So a very wealthy young man comes into his fortune, and instead of taking over the empire, he chooses to focus on one sad, lonely newspaper that uh, he owned and said, I feel like I want to make newspapers. And so he does and becomes really popular for outing a lot of people and uh, blowing the cover on a lot of people. Yellow news, as it's sometimes called. He gets a lot of readers and a lot of enemies. Uh, He takes up a political career. He's married a few times. Shot with Hitler. You see that scene? I was like, holy crap. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it kind of just, it starts with him, you know, with so much money at his fingertips and so much opportunity to, and he starts off with this whole philanthropic mm. yeah. kind for, of thing. And for the people, it all, it all comes, uh, not working out in his favor <laughs> in the end. You know what the movie was originally called? The American. Mm. right which is what he called himself of all the things i'm an american and and i i mean this is spoiler arguably orson welles uh, fights against what the american dream is basically that the american dream is the lie it always has been and it's so good like i when i I think about that i'm like oh oh my goodness i've also heard this movie reference oh citizen jobs citizen trump (laughs) citizen gates you know like all like it's just over and over and it's it's so interesting so the original person was based off of my (laughs) the the newspaper mogul is william randolph hearst who was the most powerful man arguably in the united states at the time because he controlled the newspapers and so who controlled the newspapers controlled what was sold told to the people his biggest rival pulitzer yes that pulitzer and they were the two industry giants. And so if you made either one of them mad, guess what? You ain't getting featured. And that's actually why Citizen Kane lost money in the box office later. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But we want to talk about why it is being a snob movie. What makes this such a snob fest of a movie? Because you cannot claim to be a snob without watching Citizen Kane, appreciating Citizen Kane, or if you're England Berman hating citizen kane which is the he's the only filmmaker i found who doesn't like citizen kane but <laughs> but he's you know he's a, he's a piece of work on his, his in his own right so let's talk about our humble opinions of citizen kane and how we get to 
appreciating it and then applying to what we think about movies from here here going forward. So the feeling you get when you watch Citizen Kane, what, how do you feel when you, when you watch it and kind of go, let's go from there. I think that number one, I, I love the use of light in this movie. It, it highlights the things you're supposed to be paying attention to. It, blurs the things that you know you are aware of but don't need to see the details of and it just kind of leads you through and um you see this person who you think sometimes is meaning well and then other times is just destroying his own life how do you feel about the character himself it depends on what minute of the movie i am watching it i totally agree do you like him? Do you hate him? Sometimes. <clears throat> Depends on what marriage he's in. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that scene by when they get older and just get more bickery. Yeah. Oh, so fun. Oh, yeah. So fun. You don't hate him in the end, though. No. I, I, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like he's not a bad guy, despite all of the craziness. Like, he's he seems to be this epitome of this horrible person, but you don't hate him. I feel like he's a narcissist with great intentions. Yeah, 100%. Like, he just doesn't know. But always a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> Which, arguably, a lot of great men and women of history. Yeah. And so many plots just, yeah. I mean, I remember thinking as I'm watching this, you know, it's Henry VIII. <laughs> right. That's great. Exactly right. Absolutely. I was like, there are so many similarities here you oh, know <laughs> someone so, with all this power someone whose first wife adored him and like, yeah, i'm just sitting was, there like replaying it's going oh man oh missed all the good things he could have had and oh and you could do that over and over in history yeah there's so many I, great stories that have the same theme it's just it's it's overwhelming sometimes when you think about it because you could argue you could almost argue every president ever in some senses of the word, like, because to get to that high office of power, you're going to lose some friends. And is it more important than the friendships you have? And, mm -hmm. and anyone, honestly, of any powerful position throughout history, you'd go like all of the titans of industry, quote unquote, they're all Citizen Kane-esque. Yeah. And in this movie, he does marry a relative of the president of the United exactly States. Exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> Oh, no, I love, I, I totally agree with the use of light. Now, I'm going to jump into uh, a little technical thing immediately because I feel like the use of light traditionally before that time was like the face, soft soft on the on the women, harder on the villains. Like a hard light would be like, there's no um, like filter or anything. So you're just, you just can see all the... <laughs> <laughs> all the wrinkles, mm -hmm. all the all the, the the details, which, but when you when you make them all like like um, blurry, but there's but there's just like light. The classic thing is you light the opposite side of the camera, so you're always shooting toward the dark side, which which that's true still in Citizen Kane. But what Citizen Kane did differently is usually only the actor or actress who's speaking is in focus, and nothing else is. Mm -hmm. They called it deep focus. So the whole frame is basically in focus from these crazy big looming shots where you literally could see the ceiling and the floor 
and you could see it'd be like 50 feet back in the back corner. And those are the two people talking. And then you have someone walking by and then you have two people in front who you can still see their faces in focus Mm -hmm. and they're talking while the couple in the back are also talking. Yeah. And the couple in the back are the ones who are the focus quote unquote. It's, it's, it's unlike anything anyone's ever seen before. And even today, like you still rarely see someone because on the camera, it's like the f-stop. The the lower the number of the f-stop means is the wider open it is, so that's mm-hmm. a more shallow depth of field. Which even I am like, oh yeah, do the shallow depth of field. But I'm like, oh my gosh, when you have that, the the higher number and the smaller, the smaller hole, so you can get more things in focus, it gives people an opportunity. But then that's when the use of light makes so it it, it draws you. You don't have to look at this thing because it's in focus, but the the light, the way he backlit, the way he shot light. Yeah. And and my favorite is how he made faces dark. Yes. And when they're when they're all discussing how to who's gonna go interview who about Rosebud and find out more information so and so good. Whole, you don't even see the staff except for that they're all huddled together and they're just using this light in such an amazing way. So Everyone good. is Oh man, it's good. And then also the reporter digging through the archives yes and you get till 4 30 and you can read these pages and yep. the security guard is all the way at the back so and good. you see his face clearly that scene where he walks into that room with mm-hmm. the light on the table like mm-hmm. it was it's it's one of the most iconic it, it I, I literally think I, I do wedding films a lot i'm like this would be the most amazing shot for a wedding film <laughs> oh it really would oh my gosh it, but but just silly things like that and it's not it's it, it's not like a um just a pretty but it's a stunning mm-hmm. um and and the other the one i think about and and we should talk about our favorite scenes in the movie but the clapping for his wife when no one else is clapping yes he starts with the light on him and as he starts to do the heavy clap he stands up and then his face is in the dark mm-hmm. and it's just this it's it's almost so obvious how you're supposed to feel with the light it's it and and I know movies have used light before, but but with that, with the deep focus and the combination of of the options of viewing, it's it, it's it really is moving. Mm-hmm. So okay, so we talked about these aspects of, of what Citizen Kane is the snobbery. So so we we realize there's a lot of things that. Um, change the game um what are some other moments oh let's talk about I, I did three favorite scenes and why okay i'm gonna give you a little, little second i'll start that first one has to go is the clapping scene i have to start with the clapping scene because it is such a painful want to look away determination to stick with my guns when he fully realizes how wrong he is. And it's such a great moment of helplessness of the powerful main character. And it's just, it's, it's when you know that his not life is over, but essentially it's never going to be the same. He'll never be the cane he was. And that was like, I feel like that was the hopeless moment that, took the the film to its demise okay that's, i got that was my first one you you go now before before oh, i come in. yeah i've already got two already. okay Thank nice you. so the one i was first thinking of was the beginning 
with his parents mm. and him getting it taken away. And you start off inside the house with the parents and he's playing outside in the snow and you can see him clearly oh, so good. having a snowball fight with himself out there and he just keeps <laughs> popping up and down and you know what thought, oh. you know what got you know what drew my attention to that my son coming in and watching me rewatch that piece and he goes look he's playing out in the snow and look at the snowman and there are things i never noticed before but my six-year-old sure did he's an only child by the <laughs> way that child. did you cry oh my gosh <laughs> well now thinking about it i should but <laughs> But you're heartless. At you the don't time, feel he feelings. Yeah, that's attention true. to that. When you're, when, that's as an adult, I'm watching the mother at this yeah. point going, what is wrong with her? This yes. cold woman. And then as he's getting taken away, you realize she's doing this for him. The father is abusive. I was going to ask you about that because that's debated. It's never explicit, but it says to keep him away from, he says that one line that makes it seem like, oh crap, there's a lot more going on that we don't know about. Yeah, this kid needs to get walloped. Exactly. Uh, that's right. why he's leaving. Exactly right. So there seems, so that that is the implication that most people agree with. That Yeah, which is what I read. Yeah. You know, get out of, get him out of here. But let's say it wasn't. I right. still would say it would still be that the situation because but you still see the humanity in his mother. Yes. At some point, it goes from is she just cold and wants oh, to? It's like is she nurse point? Cratchit or is she a loving mother? Right, right. And of course, it comes around, and you realize she, you know, kept things and yeah. Oh, it's so that, that's so good though. That's a great oh. Yeah, you'll have to go back and rewatch him in the window. I know. I know. I, I watched that scene like two or three times. So I'll I'll tell you a little secret. I watched the whole movie without sound. Oh, and it was amazing. It was. I I the, I'm literally going to start doing this with my own movies. I I'm not even joking because it's like if it's not good without if I can't tell what's going on without sound, and I cheated. I did have the subtitles on too, but <laughs> but I was I was actively like just like drawn to it. And, and I didn't do this, which some people suggested, listening to it without watching it. Because the sound design back then was... I mean, it's so hard now because sound design on great movies are insanely good and, and next level. But for the time, it did things like... The, the One example was when he's about to be elected. He's basically won it. And then his wife talks to him. All the cheers go away within like seconds. And it's just him and her voice with a dull murmur, mm -hmm. which accurately is wrong but emotionally is the 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 magnitude of that moment in the film and that's when it yeah and i thought and so that was to be the next if i really get into the or to the citizen kane obsessionness that would be a great one the next scene i this is kind of a lame scene it's not lame but but the intro the grandness of the intro draws you in so quickly. And and one thing I, I think about is you get just this little bit of time to get, get someone's attention in today's environment. I was still drawn in by that 1941 movie, by the grandness and the story of who Citizen Kane was immediately. It's this great teaser reel for the movie mm -hmm. at the very beginning. And I'm like, this is brilliant. Not only sets the plot and gets gets to gets you through a ton of plot points. <laughs> it's interesting as heck. This is like lifestyle of the rich is famous meets his History Channel meets you know like 
all the gossip channels you ever wanted to watch. It was, it's so, and it's also just beautifully shot too, as of course mm-hmm. everything was. Mm-hmm. Okay, tag, you're it. Okay, I'm thinking of that point where his wife shows up and says, Ooh. I'm going to this address, come with me if you want to. And he goes, and f- it's it's so many things happening at once. And it's one of those points in the movie where you almost like him and then you don't like him again. And then it goes back and forth because the guy that he's running against looks pretty shady up until the point where he shows up, you know, to the girlfriend's house. Yeah. And you find out he's he's doing all this because it's already been happening to him and he has no way to fight back except for to threaten him with publishing. You know, he's just fighting dirty with dirty and suddenly everything takes a turn and they both walk out at the same, the wife and the guy he's running against both walk out the door and they're both like, good (laughs) night. That was a great moment. Can I get you a car? Yeah. The pause. There's just so much happening in those moments. The pause when he, she asks him, do you want to come with me, mm-hmm. is a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, how long did he wait? <laughs> yeah. You know, the hilarious thing I'm thinking of is in Frozen <laughs> when her hair turns gray. It's like, Don't, do you like it? You paused. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awkward because we all know what really happened. So that's... <laughs> you know, the funny thing is too, like I remember thinking... Oh, they they haven't had sex yet. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles and, and it's the, totally totally innocent and yeah yeah he yeah. Just listened to her sing and helped her with exactly her right. No, and even when I was watching, I'm like, oh, see, they didn't cheat on. It. I'm like, I'm like, idiot. Like everyone in the movie theater knows that something actually happened, and Orson Welles knows something actually happened. But I remember watching for the first time, thinking, oh, it's just because she knows that he kind of likes her and might like her more than I'm like, no, you, you moron. This is actually, they've been doing it, dude. This is happening. This, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> oh, na- nativity. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, the next scene. There's, it's so hard. Cause everything is like literally picturesque. It's it, often I, I've had some mentors say like, you want every, every frame of your film to look like a photograph. Every frame in that freaking movie is a photograph. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think because the, the, um, the director of photography, Orson Welles often has said like, he's the best ever. He just won the Oscar the year before he did this and he wanted to work with Orson Welles. And you know why he said he wanted to work with Orson Welles? Hmm. Cause he said, you never made a movie before. You I don't, don't want to be the first. <laughs> so you don't know any better. You don't know what can't be done. And so, you know, theater lighting, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he also knew theatrics. Mm-hmm. And and the you you ready for the irony of this? Movies back then were shot like plays. You knew it was one set. People walked onto the set. People walked off to the set. And the irony was Orson Welles, the master of theater, made his movie look the least amount like a freaking play. Because he's like, oh, cameras can do this sort of thing. So let's make it do that instead of the normal thing. And, and of course everyone talks about drilling holes in the floor so they could shoot up on those angles, which was very cool and very nuts. But I was so, I was drawn to like how many times I think it's called a Dutch angle, but instead of going straight on, it would 
be a sideways. Mm-hmm. And that, that happened so, so, so much more than I thought. I mean, the other thing, of course, was the ceiling to floor shot, everything in focus a lot. Yeah. And it just did, it was the emptiness feeling and the grandeur and the hopelessness all the time. <laughs> and you just, you couldn't, have, but the, the thing is, that's not Orson Welles making those decisions. That's Greg Toland. And that he's the one that made it the greatest movie of all time. Without him, it's a good story, probably well acted, but it's not the the dynamite piece that stands up to time like it does. Mm-hmm. And it just oh, the, and the, you know the sad thing about him, he died when he was forty four, and he made ready for the movies. I'm going to give you a, Wuthering Heights, The Long Voyage Home, Grapes of Wrath. The best years of our lives in Susan Kane. Oh, all good. Insane. Best years of our lives on the list. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I mean, Grapes of Wrath was no slouch. Yeah, no. It's insane. So what, what he did in that short life he lived is just... I'm just picturing the way all those movies are shot and I see it now. Oh, I, that's so cool. I watched I watched a highlight reel of his work with just like some classical music in the background. It was just like, oh, because the shadow, like you talk about the fourth, the, sh- the shadow work he does is just, and and that's one thing I really, I'm doing, I love how I'm doing the application throughout. It's not like this, this, because you got to live in the shadows. Like the shadows are so important, which is so funny on a wedding day because we light the crap out of everything. But <laughs> but but for other like stuff, like those shadows or the faces that aren't the subjects, like the reactions are so, so important. Mm-hmm. So this, yeah, Tolan, it was a, it, it was a loss to cinema for sure. But man, thank goodness he, he wanted to do it. But that's without him and without the cast that he worked with and without complete anonymy, we never get Citizen Kane. Right. Oh, oh. And a good juicy real life story to spin off of. <laughs> and a pissed off writer. Who a piece a pissed off mediocre writer who wrote the hell out of the best script of his life, and then yeah, and and then we haven't even talked about the makeup yet. the The makeup artist was one of the first people to ever use latex. So let's go with like. By the way, Orson Welles in Citizen Kane when he's older looked like Orson Welles when he was older. Yeah. It was, and it was so. That's they made that pretty believable. Yeah, the the argument is like, uh, Benjamin Button should take some notes from Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just unreal. So it it was it was so impressive taking people who weren't normally in movies, but you still had like you know, of course, you had the great Tolan who's been making every amazing movie. But then you have a director who doesn't know who's never been in movies. You have actors who've never been in movies. Um, and then you have like, by the way, the person who does the latex stuff for the, he was like sweeping floors. He wasn't even like, cause that wasn't accepted as like good makeup back then. Right. So it's just, yeah. It, uh, misfit toys. I feel like genius comes from misfit toys and not knowing any better. And they lost 30% of their, um, of their budget because it was when the war started. They knew the war was about to start. Because they thought no one was going to watch movies and during the war. Of course, everyone watched movies. It was one of the most profitable time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was just oh, so 
from oh I, did I give my third scene yet have i have i skirted the issue like three i times? don't know i'm still trying to decide on one so make sure if you have already done it do okay it. Do, do another, another one. one okay i'm gonna do another one so i think it's it's so interesting that we 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 the the scenes where everything is going bad hits you so hard because these these rise and fall stories that are so commonplace now this is kind of the the blueprint for it so i would have to say that it's because it's such a stark contrast to this loud character so the 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 character i love of course is um this is embarrassing i just forgot the the main the main number two actor in the whole stinging movie um was yeah leland played by joseph colton and oh jedediah jedediah and he's like he like i always think of like paul drake from perry mason like he's the number two he's the better looking one he's the one who, who writes and he's like kind of like you can't fool me i know who you really are the whole time and the the scene that it's, it's kind of an unremarkable scene but it's it's him telling the story when he's older that was the first thing he shot mm. orson welles had like got i think what did he do, break his leg or something but he was in a, he was in a wheelchair and so <laughs> so joseph who's never acted in a movie before had to get in full makeup and play the old person mm. that's the first thing they shot in the movie oh how strange right to start there and it's just him like a huge monologue mm -hmm. and that was the first thing they shot in the freaking movie and he's like hey take it easy on me and <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of I kind of like that movie like that scene for that I'm going back to the other scene the 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 rundown castle and maybe this is, shows you how like the 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 setting matters so much I, I love the tiger cage that has the monkeys in it <laughs> that's so interesting the way they start that off with the ruins and the birds and the giraffes and the <laughs> Oh, it's just great. It's just so good. All right. You got one more scene if you got it for us. If not, we're moving on. What do you got? The scene where I felt like everything really went downhill for him. Okay. Was the best friend. Right. Jedediah. Oh, that was. When he's writing yep. his review. That was my of backup. The wife. And he passes out drunk because he's so conflicted about how to tell this part of it. Do I be honest? Do I stick with the guy I'm loyal to? You know, he makes or breaks my life. <laughs> and then he goes and finishes it, doesn't change it, writes it, gives him credit for it, and then yeah. fires him. But not just fires him, gives him tons of money after he fires him. Oh, yeah. It's so great. Like, you're fired. Here's $25,000. Yep. And you know you're right, but yeah. I can't tell you you're right. Exactly right. It's I'm so gonna, good. I'm gonna give you a little cushion here, and it, then send you on your way. It's a cool bros of moment. Like, hey, dude, I get it, but hey, man, I still gotta be married to her. So you know what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite moment of that whole thing is when he picks it up. Reads it himself and laughs to himself. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite moment of that whole freaking scene. Yeah, because he's just so like pleased with how <laughs> he's not. You're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. It's so good. I think about that in real life with so many things. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
you're not wrong, but I'm not going to say this crap because I'm going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know this is a a technical masterpiece. We know this changed cinema forever. Did you know? Was this? uh, Did I already say this? Whether or not it was a box office hit? It wasn't because of all the... The drama. The drama after. The make or break people. Like, not just... Not just the guy that owned yeah, everything, but the gossip columnist who yes. was buddies with everybody and was like, I'm going to wreck your life. Yep, yep, yep. Because she got felt so she got slighted because she didn't get invited to the first freaking screening little. Yeah. And the crazy thing is a lot of people try to get it, get at Kane, as Kane, whoops, Freudian slip, at Orson Welles because they thought then they'd put him in good standing with, you know, Will and Randall first because... They just want to be because he's he's the power. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's fun too. I I encourage you if you haven't seen it, watch Mank because it goes into the relationship between uh, William Randolph first and Mank before they like the friendship breaks up and then wow. he writes this whole thing. And yeah. So it's this like oh my gosh the trigger. Yeah, and you're ready for this other. Here's here's a little hot take. Which so there's two things <laughs> that people think Rosebud was. And neither one is attributed to the sled, Orson Welles. Oh, Orson! Because you know you think it'd be like something in Orson Welles' life. Herman Mankiewicz, the writer, had a bike that was stolen when he was a kid, mm. named Rosebud. Oh, right! Oh, nice. And his mom said it was his fault, and didn't buy him another bike. <gasps> right. <laughs> It's almost worse than the movie, right? Right. At least she got redeemed in the movie. Yeah, kind of. Ish. I was still pissed at the end when I was the first time I watched it. It's so funny. Like now I'm like, oh, it had to be burned. You had to not resolve. But when I first watched it, I'm like, it's right there. I was so upset. You guys did all this investigating and it's in this pile. Oh my gosh. I was <laughs> of all these things. I'm stealing this joke from another thing I heard. They wait a minute. So you're telling me there's a newsreel. That needs to go out in like two seconds and they say, hold up, let's figure out what this last word is. So they go on a manhunt for what, weeks? He's been dead for two weeks, folks. Are yeah. we really waiting to put that thing out? Yeah. And then, like, now it's become a documentary on Netflix now. So now we can have a six episode series. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. You know, when I, one thing I noticed when they were zooming out at the end over the whole vast collection of his stuff. So good. Was that those boxes, when the further you zoomed out, looked like New York skyline. Oh, that's cool. Buildings. Ooh. And, to me. That's I, good. I mean, I feel like there's a hot take there. Chicago or That's something. a hot take there. I'll, I, I like noticed that. something there. I think. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. That's like the, the- It was pretty cool. The empire he built yeah. is this empire of nothing. Of junk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, not junk, but- I just know. noticed there was a guitar case thrown into the freaking oh. fire. And what you're, are, you're like, what guitar was? I don't know, probably freaking Martin, 19 pre, pre, pre-war Martin. What's going on? Wasteful. Wasteful. Just waste. That's all I think about. You know, another thing I wanted to say too that I noticed, and it might just be a- small part of the plot for them but the fact that they talked about you know the divorce happened and then very quickly mentioned and then she and her the, his son die in a car accident oh my gosh isn't that and it's and, and you, you're like was that a blip 
Like, like cause what at the, the end I was, I had to go back and remind myself, like, did something happen to the son too? Like what happened? Because who got all that money? After yeah. he died. And I was like, oh, nobody knows now. Yeah. And like they just and he wasn't, didn't address it. He wasn't hurt at all. Mm-hmm. Was he that much of a megalomaniac that yeah. his son dying didn't wreck him yeah. for a. Yeah, that is kind of a. I had some thoughts. That's on a that pretty one. poor plotting right there. Mm-hmm. That is funny. And it's. That, is, that I, was the big plot hole for I me. have not seen anyone chat about that and how, like, uh, okay, first of all, yeah, the newsreel thing is hilarious, but yeah, your son died and no one talked about it? What? It makes you not, it almost makes you kind of hate the guy even, like, right? maybe he's the bad guy. Right. I wonder if that's how people feel about certain candidates sometimes. I'm like, man, these people seem like completely one way or the other kind of evil, but like, no, 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 he's fine. Is he? <laughs> and that, that, oh, you know what? Ah, oh, this is hard. This is the whole like great man syndrome versus reality. I like that he's flawed. I hate perfect people in movies. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to feel about it all the time. Um, I used to listen to a podcast that talked about um, Dan Carlin, hardcore history. Slam <laughs> up today, but he was he was talking about the SS. He was talking about Nazis, and he was talking about Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. When and what the what the Mongolian Empire did when they just destroyed people and raped and just did these awful things, and they talked about how you know. The Mongolian Empire was the first globalization and all the great things that it brought. And so he said, how long until we are okay saying all the great things that Nazi Germany brought to the world? Right? Because they had a ton of innovations that just changed the world for the better. They were evil and hated and were were a scourge upon the earth, but there was a ton of technological innovations from Nazi Before Germany. Before and during the war. Mm-hmm. He's like, but it's too close. He's like, in a hundred years. Because for a hot minute, Hitler looked like he might have beyond to some great ideas. Can we talk about the Hitler connection to William Randolph Hearst real quick? Because <laughs> yes. uh, it's kind of interesting because at first I was, I laughed about the Hitler reference with Kane, but that's legit. William uh, Randolph Hearst actually contracted Hitler to write for his paper. Now that's not crazy because he did it with like everybody. He did it with like, you know, uh, Churchill and he did it with like Roosevelt. And so that was like, a, not, not a crazy thing, but he was also an America first guy. Like he was like, and he loved the nationalism that Hitler brought to Germany, but to clearly Hearst, he was a compelling <laughs> person to get Clearly. that many people Good night. to say yeah let's do this <laughs> you know it's a good idea <laughs> oh you know we've only lost one world war let's see if we can chalk up another gosh but in his credit Hearst's credit as soon as like the night what is it called the night of the glass breaking I forget what it's called but when they, they first took they broke all the Jews' um, shops and took them away to concentration. Like the first night, the Nazis mm-hmm. did that. He 
immediately we went against mm-hmm. Nazi Germany and immediately printed everything negative you could about Germany before anyone else did. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this redeeming thing of like, oh, okay, so he's not a total horrible person in every respect. And and he was a big collector, just like Kane was. And he, he made sure, suppose, reportedly, that none of his buyers or that him would buy from someone that would Jewish make a people stuff that was sold from Germany right. at the time. So that was so there was there was that aspect that's like, okay, so you're not a horrible person. And the other thing about that was hilarious in the movie that they said it was nothing close to reality. Uh his cat his his uh castle, which is still in California by the way, and you can visit it. Apparently it was a party all the time. It was never this dreary <laughs> Yeah, but like, man, his wife was bored. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, his his wife was not bored at that at the in the reality. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't just puzzles in the park with uh, tigers and monkeys. Jigsaw puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles. Good. I can't. Oh, that that did seem like a next level of hell. <laughs> you know that that reminded me of um uh oh, what's that? I'm ready for my close up, Mister Deville. But the um. What's that movie? Boulevard. Oh, uh, you know. Sunset. Sunset Boulevard, where you're just alone in your isolation, and mm-hmm. it's at that same like star level isolation. And then, of course, Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's originally who. Or like Zelda Fitzgerald. And... Yes, yes. You know, Howard Hughes is actually who Orson Welles wanted to do the movie on, but mm-hmm. he felt it was too obvious. <laughs> yeah, and he was probably a pretty hot dick. Target ticket. At yeah, the time. and it, and the irony is, uh, Howard Hughes was the rebel in Hollywood. He was more Orson Welles esque than you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and well, so is uh, I mean, Hearst arguably he shook up the newspaper industry for better for worse. So, okay, let's we should probably wrap this up. Um, but let's talk about our our original wow f- feelings. And our takeaways. And then I'm going to talk about some of the implications and whether we would suggest, we would, we would recommend this to a 2020 person. Let's just say a millennial and a generation Z. Would we recommend it to them? Why or why not? Okay. So let's, let's first talk about our general impression of the movie. Uh, We should make up some, some system. What should it be like? number of beers we've drank like top three out of five beers five out of five beers or or the kind of beers what should be our rating system here oh yeah oh that that might be a whole other podcast i know whole whole rating system i'm just gonna say um let's say five beers because if i've had five beers that's 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 a rough night that's i'm i'm paying for that for the next day and a half but if it's that good it might be worth it you know, if it's that good. So we'll say five beers. Mm-hmm. Five beers is like the pinnacle. And 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 you can even go kinds of beers. You're like, yeah, that's five beers, but it's a it's a it's a high life. <laughs> <laughs> like you might throw a Billy Madison a five beers high life. You that's, know what I mean? That's too natty ice. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm like, oh, that'd be about three and a half Blackbeat Porters. Like, it's a solid, it's not like super unknown, but you know, it's solid. Everyone kind of heard of it. It's still a microbrew, so you still kind of know what's going on, but not really a microbrew anymore. So let's do that. It's going to be type of beer and then and and, and one many? out of five. And how okay. many, obviously. How many would you drink? Oh, good. Okay. So um, let's start with my, I'll, I'll start off with my overall impressions. It still plays true. Like I, I watch it and I think this is just really watchable, despite all of the cinematography and whatever, whatever innovation. It's still watchable in 2022. Like I was not bored for one second, and that to me, especially on those older movies where we were so inundated with TikTok and my brain is constantly having to be entertained, I was so impressed by the pacing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, and I feel like it could have been longer. If you would have gone into more details about his end of life and how it really spun out of control, like where he got all those animals, where, exactly right. There's so many things like we're about building Xanadu. Oh please. my gosh, it was so <laughs> so many things. I was like, yeah, I would watch another hour of this, no problem. And that's oh never, almost almost never the situation when we watch something from the 40s and 50s. That's two hours. Yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, that's that's a, unless it's gone with the wind. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even Gone with the Wind, we'll get to that one later, but <laughs> not the pace is not anything like this. Like this is just it just it keeps you going. So I think it plays true as a movie. Um so that that's my over impression. I think I as a f- videographer can learn so much from this and 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 experiment with light. And it's crazy. I can experiment with light on all the different sections of the movie. I can watch this movie. So I would say not only is this beneficial for someone who's wanting to learn film, but it's almost an essential masterclass of saying, guess what? You can do these things without having to have a super expensive fast lens. It could do that super shallow depth of field. But if you can get your light and your exposure and your feelings correct, you can kill it with almost a freaking iPhone. Cause you know, like you having these, the light is everything. The light is everything. So yeah, it is useful. It is entertaining. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say anything bad about it. Yes, it is not as perfect. It doesn't sound as perfect as the movie now, but it's still is in black and white. But other than that, like you're still like so entertained. Absolutely. Yeah. From the beginning, I feel like, yeah, the cinematography draws you in. The story takes off immediately. You get like a really good setup and then they execute the rest of it. You're it's there's so many parallels to life now. Oh, it's oh, a guy so in relationships. Right. It's politics. It's money. It's you know. Yeah. Oh, America. Not, America. It's, it's America. It's America. It's America, guys. Oh. dude. <laughs> dude, and that's it's America. <laughs> it's do you like him? Do you not like him? Would you oh, vote yeah. for him? Honestly, even you... though he's sleeping oh, with somebody gosh. else. Oh my gosh, that's that should be our real question. In, would you have voted would you have for him? Voted for him? Yeah. We're not telling you his political party because that's messed up. But let's take let's take off all the hot hot button issues because those weren't a thing back then. Yeah. Um, the hot button issues like were you the gold standard or silver standard, <laughs> which most people in America don't even know what that means anymore. Mm-hmm. So, would you have voted for Citizen Kane? Yes or no? 
Yes. <laughs> I might have too. I I'm, so. I'm trying to think so. Like He for, was very well spoken. 41-year-old 40, me says yes. Yes. 22-year-old 20, me was more um, pious. I thought I was more goody two-shoes, so I might not have. I've been scandalized. Oh, yes, questionable morals. I know. <laughs> I've been, he had been Clinton to me. <laughs> which is hilarious because Clinton was like the most so popular if only we could so get... popular I know right <laughs> if only that was the worst of her oh my gosh it's it's funny I was looking at like the, the Clinton policies I'm like you would never be able to be a Democrat now and I was looking at the Bush policies I'm like you would never be able to be a Republican now that was it's the last time my dad was like yes I'm a Democrat yeah <laughs> and now I'm like are you really a Democrat yeah like, yeah? yeah yeah not anymore not no, so much not anymore Oh, imagine old Democrats. Oh, they're, they're in big cities. One thing I want to point out, too, about the movie and which generation is into this. Ooh. I'm talking about, so I talked to my mom about watching this movie oh, and yeah. talking about say? this movie. And I could probably speak for your mom, too, on this, as it's not one of their movies no it's not because it's dark exactly because right. it's sad because they make questionable decisions because there's no music <laughs> it, it, there they're, is but it's not good <laughs> they're not singing and if they are it's not good it's, singing. it's it's a making fun of singing singing sort of thing yeah it's too dark there's oh, definitely and these are people that were born after this movie 100 percent and so that also might speak to how successful the movie was at the time. Well, you know, it's funny, though. Ironically, you say that. Guess what happened? 1940, was it 46, 48? It started being played on TV. Oh. Yeah. And that changed everything. And then they reevaluated it. And that's when they finally decided, oh, this is apparently really good now. It's like the cable guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So underrated. On the list. <laughs> On the list. Citizen Kane, cable guy. But neck and neck. Also neck worked a neck. lot with lighting. <laughs> that Matthew Broderick, he just doesn't miss. Am I, am I right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Cable guy. That was uh I wonder if I wonder if Jim Carrey like likes people who quote cable guy. You know, like because I feel like actors like prefer when you know they're like underappreciated work that they thought was really good. Yes. Yeah. So, and you know, I, I would actually be interested what um, Orson Welles, if he liked that people liked Citizen Kane. I would like to see a couple of people a decade younger than us watch it for the first time Ooh, and get some impressions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, should... I would like to see a teenager watch it. Mm -hmm. I would like to see a 25-year-old watch it. And a 35-year-old watch it because that would be for the first time. Mm -hmm. Shoot, I'd like to see my wife watch it for the first time. Yeah, let's get her <laughs> pin down first. She'd be like, nope, this is not a Christmas movie and it's not Hallmark. I am out. <laughs> By the way, you see that new Hallmark? It's not Hallmark, but it's a Christmas movie with freaking uh, Mean Girl. What's her name? Not yet, but I am tempted. I am. No, you know what I heard? This is I'm relating it to Citizen Kane. Mm. It was called... The Citizen Kane of Christmas movies. <laughs> That's interesting. Very. <laughs> yes, folks, we are talking about the one, the only. Oh my gosh, just for our name. Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Side note. Not dead yet. Uh, Mrs. Guest. 
Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, I love really Jamie Lee Curtis. Really wants to bring back Freaky Friday with her. Oh, I'm down. She's desperate for a sequel. Oh, well, Jamie Lee Curtis, man, you know what her secret is? She said she told it one time. She never says no to a role. That was her secret. And I'm like, I, I could believe that. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Those two are so funny. Oh, they're so funny. So do you think, we don't have the, the proof, but do you think would uh, millennials, that's that's age like 20, 19, no, 20, 19, maybe, no, shoot, maybe it's like 25 now, 25 I don't even 35. know what letter we are. Uh, we're X. X. We're Xennials. We're like that mid, like, yeah. we're like kind of the transition stage. We like remember when Kurt, Kurt Cobain died, but we can still use TikTok. Yeah, we're the, the Gen Z. We also remember when there weren't cell phones accessible. Oh, yeah, well, you have cell phones with college, shoot. Unless you're rich or a drug dealer. Looking at you, Paul. Oh, my pager just went off. I know. Like, okay, doctor or drug dealer. <laughs> Same thing. Prescription. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I would be curious to see the younger. Okay, I, think, you, I think, think it would go over well. Yeah. I think hipsters would like it, obviously. Yeah. Like, they can't. Like, they're like, oh, yeah. And it just... The the part like like there's so many parts that you're like is this 2022 like when Kane loses it's like Kane wins and the other one was like voter fraud and I'm like yeah. oh crap oh jeez oh yeah I love that they had both headlines printed Ready. oh my gosh so good it's it, it reminds me of um uh, before that you know Truman uh was reported to have lost the presidential race when he won oh the newspaper came out that says uh, Truman loses and this is Dewey wins. Oh, wow. And cause it, they hate that's worth a lot of money. Yeah. Cause it, well, there's a picture of him of, of Truman holding Dewey wins and just like living it up. Cause no one thought he could win after cause Roosevelt didn't, didn't even count him in. So yeah, same sort of thing. Like there's no, he had no business winning, but he did. Mm. Oh. They do that with bowl games. Yeah. Oh yeah. I see that junk when I was overseas. I'd, I worked. I'd see the I other. worked in the stock room at J.C. Penney, and when we got the box, they were hot. The Mean, shirts, meaning the shirts oh, that were freshly printed, were here. still warm out of the box. Wow! The, you weren't sure who was going to be in the game that's or who crazy. was crazy. Hot off the press. Oh, that's terrible. Ugh. Well, that's depressing. Well, America, the American. <laughs> so or. Uh, I would give this five beers easy. Um, the type of beer I would go top shelf and I would, well, it has to be an older brand because it's a, a classic. Um, but it's definitely a beer. Like I would go like a triple, like a, like a, some sort of like monk triple beer, mm. which would get me wasted in two of them. But I would go like, so I'd be a Belgian monk. Let's say, let's say a brother Thelonious five beers. That's a, that's a high um, praise, by the way. It's Brother Thelonious. It's good. Oh, I mean, I would definitely give it a solid four IPAs. Mm. Which is which IPA though? We're not talking like. That's what I'm trying to decide. Or if you're if you're a so we're from uh, Oregon, uh, Willamette Valley near Salem. The the snobby IPA, of course, is a Tack Owl. I don't know if you've had that one. But that's the Salem IPA. Uh, I'm a pretty big Breakside. Breakside's good. Yeah, good beer. Unicorns and rainbows. Is oh, my that's a good one. Fave. Ooh, do you like that more than the three way? Oh, three way. Yes, my fave. more than three way. Okay. I I still love just breakside. Breakside, yeah, not just the. So uh, for those of you who are not from Oregon, there's a, an amazing IPA called Three Way, <laughs> a 
which is three breweries working together that makes an IPA. Mm-hmm. I I would give it no, I give it four Fort Georges. Ooh, which Fort George? The green and brown one. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. that one? That's uh, Vortex. Vortex yeah, IPA. Four Vortex. Four Vortex IPAs. That's, I think that's, that's a, a solid deal. rating. That's a solid rating. Yeah. Yeah, ironically enough, Fort George is also part of the three-way IPA. Yeah, that's that? what made me yeah. kind of think. Like, yeah. oh yeah, Fort Anyways. George. All right, well, well, this has been. I, I, I've really enjoyed this deep dive of of it. I, I feel like I didn't think I was going to get. I thought I was going to get more involved in like the history and the mildew, but, but I was just the movie still wins out over the drama. Like, mm-hmm. despite all the craziness that the story is and how crazy Orson Welles' life is, I would say my final thoughts about this movie is it's still a dang good movie. It's a solid that movie. That just is inspiring of what can be done um, w- without knowing better. And it's and it With was... a good story and a vision. It was 30% under budget. It was ahead of schedule when it was done. And it was just some punk kid who didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he was a genius punk kid who could, like, you know. Talented punk kid. Uh, incredibly talented punk kid. But punk still, kid like Seth's punk kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think my... Speaking of extremely verbal. Yeah, yeah. She is extremely verbal. I say she gets it from her mom, but it's definitely not. But the brain she gets from, my, from her mom, that's for sure. Anyways. Well, guys, thank you for taking this journey through Orson Welles' amazing classic, Citizen Kane. We will be coming to you with more movie snobbery. And our goal is to become movie snobs. And we hope you can also become movie snobs with us and be better. Please join us. Please join us for more movie snobberies. Until next time, guys. Thanks. Bye.